Hello there, I'm Tom Calvard. I thought I would record a series of short podcast segments um, to discuss the contents of my recently published book published by Rutledge, Critical Perspectives on Diversity in Organisations. Um, the book priced uh, at sort of institutional academic prices isn't always affordable or uh, people may just wonder what the book tried to do or tried to cover and so I thought this might be useful particularly when many of us are restricted from uh, buying and accessing books in the in the normal manner so um, I I thought I would start by just talking about the contents of the book and the, the structure of the chapters for this first segment. Um, I'm fairly pleased dare I say it with the chapter structure and how it turned out. I'm not you know, the most experienced author. Um, and so I was fairly pleased in the sense that I don't think I left anything out that I, that I uh, later might have regretted and wanted to include. But the book has four parts and it has 13 chapters clustered into the four parts into little groups of two, three, four or five. Um, and there were times when I thought, oh, I've got you know, so many chapters to write. But as I say, I, I feel that each chapter was important to include, at least from my own perspective. So part one gives an overview of how people have researched diversity in organisations, probably over the last 30 or 40 years um, in total. Uh, and it starts in chapter one by looking at what I call mainstream approaches to diversity in organisation. And I myself, I'm a little bit critical, or shall we say sceptical, of some of these approaches. Many of them have taken um, a psychology approach or a very business-like approach to measuring diversity through statistics um, and trying to predict whether diversity would have positive or negative effects on outcomes for teams and organisations. And I simply argue that, you know, this approach has been very rigorous and scientific and has led to a lot of um, hard work and well-conducted research. But ultimately, it seems to me to be rather narrow um, and to only ask certain kinds of question uh, about diversity. And it doesn't seem to fully capture its context and its complexity. So in the second chapter of part one, I depart from these mainstream approaches uh, and I talk about in chapter two, taking a critical perspective. Um, and I note that not everyone might agree on what a critical perspective is or looks like, and that there are probably many different types of critical perspective. But I do argue that um, over the last 30 years or so, um, there has been a body of work uh, emerged, uh, which I would consider uh, as taking uh, a variety of critical perspectives on diversity in organisations. Generally, there is some political desire to change the status quo or to critique the status quo or to acknowledge um, and grasp more the inequality that goes on inside and outside uh, organisations. And often critical perspectives draw on different disciplines and not just on diversity, but indeed on organisations in general. And this might be quite useful for non-academic readers just to understand that there are more mainstream approaches to organisations, but there are also quite a lot of critical approaches as well. And we should always be aware, though, that it's not a, a perfect binary 
that it's not just one or the other. Um, there are approaches that probably would fall somewhere in the middle, approaches that look at human resource management practices or case studies, for example. They're maybe not totally critical of businesses and the status quo, um, but uh, they, they uh, are looking at the, the reality of diversity in organisations and maybe asking different questions about it. So that's part one with the two chapters. And then in part two, there are three more chapters that look at what I call defining aspects of a critical perspective on diversity in organisations. And these three chapters are titled History, Power and Institutions. All three of them are things that people who look at organisations have continued to look at in different ways. And there are lots of critical perspectives. I really think, for example, it's hard to take a full look and appreciation of diversity in organisations without thinking, at least to, to a small degree, about the history of, of, of what, what's taken us into the 21st century. Both the history of organisations, um, going back to slavery and the Industrial Revolution and, and, and things like that, um, right up to, to sort of civil rights um, and, and, and many other events that, that, that have happened in recent decades. And power is another thing that, you know, some people would say, well, power and inequality run through everything um, to do with diversity in organisations. Um, but there are narrow views of power that see it as an ugly word or something that we maybe have to resort to, or some people have to resort to, to get things done in particular situations. But actually critical views of power um, are a bit more open-ended than that. They argue that power is is all around us, really driving the world we see. It's, you know, using words like structural and systemic to think about power and how that can leave minority groups disadvantaged uh, for, for a long, long time. But of course, people can seize back control and they can resist power as well. And that chapter looks at that. And final, finally, so there's history and power. And the third and final defining aspect is institutions. Um, and a lot of people who research organisations will perhaps be familiar with the, the word institution. Many researchers focus on what they call institutions, and these are deeply embedded social norms. So things like the fact that we use money, we follow laws, we have police forces, we have religions, we have media, we have sports, and of course we have different types of corporation. So bigger than any single organisation, we have these institutional patterns to our daily lives and our societies, and those can be quite difficult to change as well. And I, I really wanted to include this chapter so I, it would enable me to talk about links with diversity, not least institutional racism and institutional sexism, the terms which have histories of their own. Part three is the biggest part of the book, and it's the body of the book, and I call it elaborating on critical themes. So building on the defining aspects of history, power and institutions, I then go on over five chapters to look at more specific aspects of critical perspectives on diversity in organisations. And these five chapters are titled Intersectionality, Discourses, Multiculturalism, Sensemaking, and finally Place, Space and Geography. So intersectionality, again, um, people may have heard of this term in a variety of ways, or they may 
not have heard of it or not use it always, but this idea that multiple aspects of diversity intersect. And primarily this is rooted in notions of gender and race and black feminism. The idea that gender and race intersect to produce uh, experiences unique to black women. But of course it can be used in many other senses as well. Um, and it raises a lot of questions about how we maybe shouldn't put people in particular categories because they have many intersecting differences affecting their lives. The chapter on discourses is really there to deal with communication. When I'm, when I'm teaching or, or talking about discourse, I often sort of shrug and say it's a, a fancy academic term for how people write and talk about things. So essentially, how people communicate about diversity. And that could be everything from metaphors that people use uh, to the to, to language that they choose to use. Um, and of course, the language we use to communicate has changed, um, or there are different languages we can adopt. And we see indeed in many people's jobs today, they combine words like equality, diversity, and inclusion to use an acronym like EDI. But these things, these words have different histories and different practices. And so that chapter looks at that. I have a chapter on multiculturalism, which is a term that was hugely uh, influential, I think, primarily in the 1990s and is not used so much anymore, which I argue is a bit of a shame because there's a lot of research and thinking about multiculturalism, which I think is still relevant to our organizations and societies today. After all, um, our employees often have multicultural backgrounds, our organizations often have multicultural histories and are embedded in multicultural societies. But it is a controversial term because it, it has been used to refer to government policies to make multicultural immigrants and citizens feel included in, in multicultural societies uh, and that that has uh, by many commentators been deemed a failure. Um, but I argue we can look at multicultural research in this tradition to try and find ways forward around multicultural integration and inclusion. Chapter nine is about sense making. This is a little bit of an indulgence because it's something that has influenced me a lot in my thinking about a variety of topics in organizations. It's not always overtly critical, but sense making is mainly concerned about how we interpret the world around us, including people and their different diverse interpretations. So this looks at how diversity is interpreted by people in organizations and the fact that they maybe tell different stories about it or give different versions of events. And finally, in this part, as I said, I talk about a chapter where I talk about place, space and geography. And this is something that has always fascinated me in terms of the context of organizations, that they are located in particular countries, communities, buildings. Um, and of course, the links with diversity are now fairly well established. I think there's more work to be done, but I talk a lot about how spaces and places can be inhabited by diverse people and diverse groups for different reasons, and they can make them feel included or excluded, depending on how those spaces are designed and used. And more broadly, the geography of inequality. You know, people living in cities, uh, um, suburbs or, or rural areas or different countries or different parts of the globe obviously face enormous um, sources of inequality and disadvantage. 
So in an earlier chapter, I talked about history. Uh, and in this chapter, I talk about geography, um, really trying my best, although it can be difficult, uh, to uphold an interdisciplinary view of diversity and using different subjects to understand it in, in and around organisations. Now, the final part of the book, part four, is called Implications of Critical Perspectives in a Future of Diverse Organisations. So I, I still looking backwards a little, but also looking forward, I have three final chapters. One is called Beyond Diversity Management and the Business Case. The second one is called Critical Performativity and Agency. And the final chapter of the book is called Imagining Diverse Futures, which I thought was maybe fairly appropriate to look to the future as I came to the end of these chapters. Beyond Diversity Management and the Business Case will be something that will be, I think, I hope, of interest to practitioners. But critical perspectives have really revealed some of the shortcomings behind a strong idea that diversity is easy to manage, that it is something that managers can come in, implement some straightforward practices and improve business outcomes. There are lots of critical perspectives showing how this can be um, much more difficult than these perspectives would suggest and that we may need to move we may be long overdue for needing to move well beyond a business case in thinking about social justice cases, legal, moral and ethical cases for diversity um, and also the people who are on the receiving end of diversity management practices and initiatives. The chapter on critical performativity and agency sounds a bit verbose and academic but is essentially about change and freedom to achieve change um, for diversity in organisations. Often we, we may feel highly constrained um, and minorities indeed will feel highly constrained in trying to change organisations. But at the same time, people have showed a lot of um, passion and activism in um, achieving uh, pro-diversity, pro-inclusion, pro-equality changes. So that looks at things like activism. It looks at people's roles and responsibilities for delivering diversity and inclusion to organisations on behalf of themselves and the minorities they, they represent. It looks at trade unions, diversity officers and those sorts of roles as well. The final chapter is about imagining diverse futures um, and that this really does look into the future. It looks at the arts, it looks at science fiction a little bit even, um, it looks at utopias, dystopias um, and uh, other visions of the future um, and it's a way to talk about technology and climate change and how some of those broader societal issues intersect with diversity as well and the kinds of inclusive futures we might be able to create, the ones we might want to live in and work in. Work may look very different um, but using our um, collective imagination to try and imagine diverse futures um, and different possibilities. Beyond the 13 chapters, I have a short concluding section um, on concluding remarks uh, where, I, where I basically look at, uh, come full circle and look at the idea that in future, you know, people will continue to research and practice diversity in organisations in different ways but I do hope that over the course of the chapters, I've persuaded people a bit like a menu or a series of options that they might be able to combine some of these perspectives more greatly in their future work and practice. So that's it for this first segment 
Um, and hopefully over the coming weeks, I'll be able to upload some more where I look at the specific chapters I've mentioned in this overview uh, in a little bit more detail um, in, in series. Thanks for listening. Um, and please do comment under under my posts um, if you'd like to hear more or there's particular questions you have. Um, and hopefully you feel that the, the book is something interesting that you'd like to hear more about.